You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Turn in your Bible to Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And uh, we're kind of in the habit of not putting the scripture on the screen. So open up your Bible, find the book of Zephaniah. It's a small three-chapter book towards the end of the Old Testament. It is uh, towards the end of the 12 prophets. And I'm going to read Zephaniah starting in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And this is a warning. Everybody say, warning. Everybody say it again, warning. All right. So this is a warning. The whole book of Zephaniah is about warnings. So listen to this. Everybody calm? You, everybody's wild up today. Maybe that coffee's extra strong or something. Um, but anyways, we shall begin with Zephaniah chapter 2, 1 through 3. says, gather together, gather yourselves together, you shameful nation, before the decree takes effect. The decree is about to be lo- the Lord's judgment. And the day passes like windblown chaff before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Verse 3, seek the Lord, all you humble in the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Let's pray. God, we we do come before you, and and God, we want to heed your warnings, the spiritual warnings for our life. God, would you continue to speak to us in ways in which we can respond to you, in which we um, are passionate about responding to you. God, open our hearts and our minds to receive your knowledge, your wisdom, your warnings to us. God, speak to us as we look at this book of Zephaniah. God, we praise your name. We love you, Jesus. And everybody screamed, amen. So we're talking about warnings today. And... um, I've thought, about, uh, I've thought about a lot of things in my life when I was warned not to do something. It's hard to receive a warning, don't you think? Someone tells you not to do something, you're like, who are you? I'm going to go do it anyways just because you told me not to. Um, that's the way some of us, maybe all of us, act at some points in our lives. And I was thinking back to a time when I was in a position of leadership and I warned a group of people not to do something and they, at least two of them, didn't they didn't take the warning. They didn't heed the warning and went ahead and did it anyways. And it's back in a time when I was a high school teacher. I, I graduated with an undergrad, undergrad de- degree in biology and education. And I did like six months, a full semester of student teaching. And as a senior in college, last semester of my college career, I kind of learned that through my student teaching that I didn't want to be a high school teacher. Like it took four years of education to find that out. But I I like teaching and I'm teaching right now. And so I found kind of a place where I really love teaching. But the high school environment, I just hated the discipline problems. I hated making people go to detention and discipline. I just didn't like that part of it. Um, And so I have a picture of me that I'm about to show you. You're about to be blown away. You're glad that you came early today. I'm going to show you this picture of me and my college as a senior teaching biology. I had some like, uh, I think I had some models of some atoms in my hand. I have a sweet beard. And when Erica saw this picture uh, a couple days ago, she said, "Um, it's pretty clear that you didn't have a woman in your life at that point, did you? (laughs) So here you go, just, you know, friendly laughing at me. Oh, look at the flower tie. I don't know. It's a, it's a sweet beard, and it's another time in my life, you know. 
But uh, anyways, I, I bring all that to, to tell you this story about the warning so that we can get into Zephaniah, this book about warning. And this warning happens to do with uh, some pretty powerful chemical called hydrochloric acid in, a, in the certain concentrations, high concentrations. This stuff will take your hand right off. Um, but anyways, we had some experiments in this biology high school class that I was teaching. The, the students were supposed to go to different areas of the room and with their little pH strips. I'm sure you've done something like this in your uh, high school or college career and you test the pH of various chemicals, and one of the chemicals they had to test the pH of was hydrochloric acid, and it was a pretty high concentration of hydrochloric acid. So when they went to that station, they had to wear goggles, they had to wear gloves, they were warned to just use the eyedropper, put one tiny little drop on the pH paper, and, and check the pH. Don't get that stuff on your skin. Don't obviously get it in your eyes. If you do get it in your skin or eyes, then here's what you do. You, you go to the rinse station, you neutralize it with a base, etc. So I gave them all these warnings about hydrochloric acid, because it's a pretty powerful chemical that will you know, burn you, chemically burn you. And so after all these warnings, two, count them, one, two students, like independently of each other, decided to go back to that station and take the dropper and and drop some hydrochloric acid. One of them dropped it on their hand. The other one dropped it on their arm just to see what it would do, to see if the warning, would, the, what I was saying was true, I guess. And so it burnt their hands. It burned them pretty good, like, a, like one of them on the arm, one of them on the hand, a chemical burn, like a drop. Like I'm sure it hurt like crazy because they went to the nurse. Parents got involved. The actual teacher of the class, because I was just a student teacher at the time, got involved. And it was like, Joe, what are you doing? Didn't you warn the kids? And I said, yes, of course I warned the kids. Some and the other kids were like, yes, he warned us. He said, it'll burn your hands. Don't get it on your eyes. Wear the gloves, etc., etc." So I ended up, um, I, at first I thought I was going to get in trouble as a teacher that I had not warned them enough. But I made a warning clear. And the other students attested to, yeah, those kids are just dumb. They didn't heed the warning. And so I didn't end up getting in trouble. These kids are probably still walking around with chemical burns um, to this day, even though that was 10 years ago. But anyways, um, heed the warning. Uh, Zephaniah is this book that we're going to look at today that talks about spiritual warnings. Zephaniah warns Judah to return to the Lord, to obey his commandments, or else the Lord will strike them, or else the Lord will bring judgment. And there's this phrase that keeps occurring, the day of the Lord is coming. And so turn from your wickedness, turn from your ways, and maybe you will be spared on the day of the Lord. So we're talking about Zephaniah today. Before we talk about Zephaniah, um, just kind of some announcements and big picture of where we've been, where we're going. Uh, we are talking, uh, this full series is on the, the 12 minor prophets. We are almost at the conclusion. Next week will be the final three minor prophets. Uh, Malachi, Zechariah, and Haggai will be, will be the topic for next week. But we'll kind of get into their history a little bit today to, for a smooth transition into next week. But we've been talking about the 12 prophets, prophets of doom and destruction and gloom. Today, prophet of warning. And so it's been kind of a depressing month, or two months actually, um, at least for me studying. Studying all this. Has anybody else been depressed this these last month because we've been studying minor prophets? They're kind of gloom and doom prophets. But uh, next month will be March. We will start a new series. It's going to be missions. We're going to talk about global and local missions and the importance of that and how we as Christians are called to missions. So that'll be awesome. Um, so that's more to come about that next month. But uh, if you're new to the Mill Sunday School, welcome. We love the fact that you're here. If you want to, on all the tables should be visitor cards. You can fill one of those out. Bring it to the nice people right in the lobby as you leave. They'll give you a worship CD. 
from the mill on a Friday night, and the mill is our main meeting. It's got worship and a sermon. Sunday school is more of a gathering for teaching and learning and nerdiness, which is, in my opinion, a really good thing. Anybody else agree with that? Okay, good. All right, let's talk about Zephaniah, not to be confused with Zechariah. Zephaniah, uh, a little bit about his background. If you're taking notes on your skill, I think the, the main point is the background here. Um, here's some things to know and tell about Zephaniah. He kind of came from royalty. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gidad, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah. Does that name sound familiar? He's one of the kings. Was he a good king or a bad king? He was a good king, yeah. On your little chart, there's all kinds of stuff on your table. But on your big chart, there is uh, all the kings, and some of them are in red, some of them are in green. He, Hezekiah, is in green, so he was a good king. So he, this guy, Zephaniah, um, is a prophet who was in line, uh, one of the grandson sons of of Hezekiah. Um, So he's royalty. He claims to be a prophet, not like, uh, remember a couple weeks ago we were talking about Amos. Amos was a shepherd, a fig farmer. Um, And so he was uh, just this, Amos said, I'm not a prophet. I'm just a farmer. I'm just a shepherd. Um, But here Zephaniah comes from this line of royalty and he really claims to be a prophet and is this prophet, writes this great book of warning against Judah, even though during this time, it was a, a good time because it says um, that Zephaniah prophesied during the reign of Josiah. Is Josiah a good king or a bad king? He's a good king. He's one of the best of kings. And so I don't know why, if you're looking at your timeline there, supposed, all the kings are in either green or red, but he doesn't have any color at all, maybe signifying that he was the best of all the good kings or something. I don't know, but he was a really good king. He renovated the temple. And while he was renovating the temple and redeclaring the nation for the Lord, he found the book of the law, Moses' book, the, the, the Pentateuch. He found it. It was like, where has it been? Why hasn't this been out? Why haven't people been reading it? We're not sure, but it was lost for a time. And under Josiah's reign, it's refound. And so it's kind of a good time to be in Judah. It's a good time to be in Jerusalem at this time when Zephaniah was living. And yet there's still warnings to be said. It's like, yes, you're on this mountaintop experience, but hold strong. Stay there. The day of the Lord is coming. And so keep repenting. Keep strong. Uh, Obey the Lord. And eventually the people didn't, and eventually bad and worse after horrible kings would follow Josiah, and the day of the Lord would come, and uh, the Babylonians, look at these guys coming in. I made this presentation myself, by the way. Um, the Babylonians will come in. The date is 586 BC when they destroy the temple. And this is um, what many of the prophets have been talking about as we've been studying the minor prophets. This great day, this warning that is coming, the Babylonians that are being sent by God. It's pretty clear that the Lord is the one sending them to this wicked Judah, this nation that is not following the Lord. They're people of the Lord, but they're not acting like it. And so many of the books are about prophetic warning. I was thinking about Habakkuk is, is a prophetic warning. Obviously, uh, this book, Zephaniah, the book of Jonah is a warning to the people of Nineveh, but they actually repent. And then I was thinking Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, and Isaiah all have these passages where they're warning the people, the, the Lord is coming. Um, make yourself right before him or else that day will look very bad for you. And, and, and in this case, in Zephaniah's case, the people did not listen to his prophetic warning. So I I wanted to pause right here and just think about like prophetic warnings in our own life and um, how that is often 
if someone comes to you and warns you about something that, that they think the Lord is going to do, if, like, if they come before you or if you have this picture in your own mind, a dream of, of, of uh, something bad happening to you that you need to stop sinning and turn to the Lord, um, or someone tells you that you need to stop sinning and turn to the Lord, usually our reaction is like, who are you? You know, like, why are you warning me? Go warn yourself. You know, just get, you know, look at the sin in your own life before coming to me. And so it's very hard. I think, I think we, um, as, as Americans maybe, or people of pride, and sometimes that's a good thing. And sometimes that's just like a, like, I'll do it on my own. I don't need you to warn me. I'm not going to listen to your warnings, whether it's spiritual warnings or whether it's, uh, secular warnings in any way. Like, oh, you know, for, forget you. I'm going to do whatever I want to do despite being warned not to do it. And I was thinking, um, just about maybe spiritual warnings in our life and how sometimes I think Zephaniah prophesies during this good time in, in Judah's history and how sometimes we are the least likely to respond to a warning when things are all going good. And I thought this morning I was thinking about like couples. And as a pastor, I've seen lots of couples get engaged and get married or bypass the engagement process and just get married or whatever. Um, and sometimes as a pastor, I've been a pastor, I was counting this morning, actually, I have been a pastor since 04 for New Life. And then before that, I was a youth pastor. And before that, I was an intern and kind of around the pastoral world. So I've been a pastor, at least kind of in an unofficial, then official role for about 10 years of college and 20-somethings. And I've seen lots of couples come together and seek, you know, to be married. And since I'm a pastor, I can marry them. And oftentimes, not often, sometimes, it's, it's rare, but it does happen where a couple is just a disaster of a couple. And for various reasons, like everyone in their family, every one of their friends is saying, don't do it. Don't get married. Wait three months. Wait six months. Figure this thing out first. Don't rush into this. Marriage is for the rest of your life. Everyone's telling them no. I, I meet with them. I'm like, gosh, your finances are in a horrible situation. Neither of you have jobs. You just think that marriage is going to solve all your problems when in fact marriage might bring more problems than solving anything. And so everyone around them is, is warning them, don't do this. Wait, give it time. And, and, and what, for whatever reason, I've seen this uh, a few times that, that the couple just decides to get married despite all the warnings. And in every one of the cases that I'm familiar with, the marriage doesn't last for more than a few years. And it's like, why didn't you listen? And then, you know, three years down the line, they're like, why didn't I listen? I was like, yeah, I know. Why didn't you listen to everyone in your life telling you um, to hold on, to at least wait, to get the parents' blessing, to do this the right way, et cetera, et cetera. And you don't heed the warning. And I think sometimes it's because you're on a, a, a figurative mountaintop experience where everything's going well. And you're like, how could this be? How, why would I listen to a warning? Everything's going great. Everything's going beautiful. What should I have to be afraid about? Well, maybe other people can see into your life. You know, it's not like rocket science prophecy to tell a couple, that, uh, the disaster couple, that they're going to end up in a disaster marriage if they go through with it. Um, uh, which, by the way, I coined the phrase rocket science prophecy just for you this morning. But anyways, um, so this idea of being on a mountaintop experience that we're kind of rabbit trailing, but we'll get right back on with this idea of warning in a second, is I think sometimes in our life, whether we're on a retreat, like a, the Mill Fall Retreat, or we're on a mission trip, uh, we go somewhere, we experience the hand of God, and we see things, and we're in an awesome community. We're at the height of our spiritual lives. I think there's often, with that experience, uh, should be um, just a warning that, that, listen, you're at a high right now, but after the high, just like life has ups and downs, you, you will come down from this high 
And you need to start living and, and, and on an everyday, average life basis. And it's not that hard, but it is hard to, to stay steady and keep going and, and stay in the Word and stay with a good group of people. And so warnings often come as a pastor. I think <clears throat> we often plan, you know, talks so like the last talk of the mill fall retreat is this warning like we've just had an awesome weekend but you're about to go back home you're about to fall potentially back into your old ways but keep strong we're warning you to stay strong stay with it stay with the faith etc and so this idea of warning is is very important throughout scripture i think it's a very important idea in life in general and so in a second i'm going to give you this discussion question so so you could break into groups and, and think about um uh, what makes for a good warning. But before we get into that discussion, I have a video to show you. And I think this video is pretty awesome. It's like this huge YouTube hit. Um, it, was, it was a hit a couple years ago. So you've probably, maybe some of you have seen this already. But um, you could go to 11foot8.com. Uh, they'll talk about it in this video. But it's this bridge in uh, Durham, North Carolina, that is very low. That's only 11 point eight feet or 11 feet eight inches actually to be exact and like semi trucks that i had to look this up because i didn't know how tall a semi truck was but usually this average semi truck is 13 foot something and so will a 13 foot semi truck go under this bridge no duh it's simple math and so there's warning signs saying low clearance there's several warning signs there's warning signs three blocks ahead of this bridge there's like a laser beam thing to see if, if the truck is too tall, lights start flashing, warning the trucker that they are too tall to fit under this bridge. The, the speed limit is only 25. And we're about to see and watch videos. Um, I guess this happens like once a month, a big truck will come flying and slamming into the bridge. So without further ado, uh, the video, um, enjoy. I think it's going to start in a second. Crash after crash after crash. A webcam captures this scene all too often. Trucks a little too tall try to make it under this triangle bridge. In fact, at least 10 times in the past year, tall trucks have all crashed at the same railroad trestle in Durham. Now, there's a sign clearly that says 11 foot 8, but that's just not enough warning for some, obviously. So one man decided to show the world just how dangerous it can be, so he set up a webcam right here at this intersection. Brian Schrader takes us. To Gregson Street. It happened again last week. The pieces of metal there on Gregson Street showing that another tall truck didn't make it under the railroad trestle at Brightleaf Square. That's where Jurgen Hen works. Almost earth shattering, and, and people jump out of their chairs when it happens. The crashes seem to happen about once a month, often enough that every truck that passes under the 11 foot 8 trestle brings a tingle of suspense. Real. <laughs> Ken set up a camera at the corner a couple of years ago. He wanted to see if he could record an accident. Bam. It didn't take long to get results. After a few weeks, first truck crash, and uh, the, the footage was pretty spectacular. A couple of years later, Hen's videos are a hit on YouTube, racking up hundreds of thousands of views. He even started a website, 11foot8.com. You can see all the videos there, read about the trestle, or even buy an 11-foot-8 t-shirt. Just because I could. Hen even collects mangled pieces from trucks and gets the drivers to sign them. Just a hobby, you know, to, to have some fun. But it's not all about fun. Hen hopes the videos are bringing attention to the danger. Engineers say they've done about all they can to make this trestle as safe as possible. They put up those signs and flashing lights, that crash bar in front of the bridge itself. 
Penn says it's up to the drivers to stay safe. Slow down and read the signs and act upon the information on the signs. You don't want to be the next YouTube star. Brian Schrader, WRAL News, Durham. Yikes. Another incentive to pay attention, most truck rental insurance policies do not cover overhead damage. <laughs> I like this last line. Act upon the information on the sign. Don't just look at the sign. Act upon, turn another road. Don't go under the bridge if you're a big truck. Anyways, so we're gonna, I'm going to ask this question uh, for discussion. What makes... <coughs> A successful warning, and so I'm talking spiritually, I'm talking roads and trucks, I'm talking just in life in general, and then we're specifically going to look at Zephaniah's warning and see, was his warning uh, a good warning? Was it a successful warning? Ends up not being, but was it a good warning? Was it, um, anyways, what makes for a a successful warning? Get into groups if you're a smaller group at a table, just join a bigger group, Uh, turn to someone, just write down a couple points, what makes for a successful warning. Ready to set, go. All right, sorry to cut your conversation short, um, but I'd love to hear from some of you. I have a mic right here, get my attention, and I would love to just hear a quick point about what makes for a good, successful warning. Anybody want to share? Yes, Vin, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so we had a number of things. We had uh, first the authority to give that uh, warning, uh, give it out of love. Yeah, so yeah, authority to give that warning, g- give the warning out of love. Uh, the the person has to be like under the authority of God and be like listening. And so when it kind of echoes God, yeah, then y- you know it has like extra weight. And there was one other one. What was the other one? So authority, um, the person receiving the warning, the recipient has to be a good, have a good heart. And what was okay. the last one? Uh, yeah. just, uh, just echoing God. Just like, yeah. When somebody's echoing God, then you'll hear it better because you've already heard it before from God. Yeah, good. So a spiritual warning should come from God. Yes, Aaron, go ahead. Okay, a good warning needs to come from a position of authority in your own life. A guy standing on the street corner saying, the world's coming to an end doesn't have any kind of authority just to give like a warning. looks like a crazy person. He just looks like a crazy person, right. So, so someone without any authority in your life, their warning is going to go unheeded. But not just a warning, but a, a viable alternative. So not just stop what you're doing, but stop what you're doing and turn from, from your ways. Uh, like like the has something to yeah. like yeah. do this, don't do, this, do that. Do this, not that. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking like a crazy person on the street saying your world is going to end is probably very different than your dad telling you your world is going to end. Like this, the, the authority that's there in the one and not in the other is, is interesting. So anyways, um, let's look at Zephaniah's uh, prophecy specifically. Turn to the book of Zephaniah. I'm just going to quickly uh, go over a couple passages. And I think Zephaniah's warning is awesome. It's a, it's a good warning. It's, it's how to do a warning 101. Zephaniah does it right but in the end, the people do not um, listen. They do not heed. Maybe they listen, but they don't heed the warning that Zephaniah says. And so I wrote down a couple points of Zephaniah's uh, warning. Point one is that Zephaniah does place the fear of God into their life. He t- describes what's going to happen with fear. You know, like imagine your parent telling you, hey, don't do that. Knock it off or I'll give you a cupcake. Wait, what? What? <laughs> 
doesn't make any sense. Like, knock that off, or else I'm going to, and then fill in the blank with whatever your parents used to warn you with. The higher degree of warning, probably the more intense that punishment would be. But here's uh, Zephaniah says, Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 2, um, it says this. This is the Lord speaking. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. And then when I destroy all mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. And here I think it's some hyperbole or this idea that Zephaniah is talking about the end of the world to come as well as the day of the Lord when the Babylonians come. But this prophecy is, is very clear. Like God is going to do some damage. He is going to destroy. He's going to rip the top off your truck if you go under this bridge. Figuratively, of course. So the fear is a part of this prophecy. The next thing is that, that it's coming soon. This warning is, is going to happen. Uh, the, the warning is, is talking about something that is going to happen soon. Um, and it'd be like, you know, you're, this would be a, a poor warning if a parent was like, hey, knock it off or I'm going to spank you next Wednesday. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Like, no, I'm going to spank you right now if you don't knock it up. Yeah, okay, I got it. That's a good warning, I guess, if you're into spankings. But anyways, uh, so Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14. Um, the, the, great and day, the great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. So Zephaniah says, it's, it's, it's going to be horrible. The, the fear element, it's going to come quickly. You can't buy your way out of it is this next point, which I think we as um, rich Americans, and if you don't think you're rich, just go to a third world or developing country someday and you'll realize just how rich you are, even though you think you're poor, uh, we're actually pretty rich. And so we as Americans often think we can talk our way out of anything. We often think we could buy our way out of anything. Maybe, ladies, you feel like you could flirt your way out of anything. You know, like, you're, oh, your cop pulled you over? Oh, don't worry, I can just talk my way out or flirt my way out or whatever. We just often think, I think as rich Americans, that we can buy our way out, we can talk our way out, no need to actually heed a warning. When it comes, we could figure it out. But so Zephaniah says, you can't buy your way out of this one. Zephaniah 1, uh, verse 18 says, neither uh, their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. And so the next one is, uh, you can't buy your way out. It's coming soon. It's fear. Others have died. So I was thinking back when I was a kid, um, there was this hornet's nest in the backyard. My mom and dad warned me, don't touch the hornet's nest. Don't play with the hornet's nest. And of course, I wanted to go play with the hornet's nest. But I was listening to their warning, and a friend was over, and the friend went over and hit the hornet's nest with a stick. And he ended up getting stung like five or six times by the hornets, and I was running away. I didn't get stung. But I just thought... Yeah, that's why I guess my parents warned me not to play with the hornet's nest. And then I saw, like I have seen others perish. I saw someone else getting hurt. Therefore, the warning is much more serious. You know, if, if you're the truck behind the truck that gets its roof ripped off, you're probably less likely, likely to go give it a try, don't you think? You're like, ah, I'm going to heed the warning that says 11 foot 8, going back to that example. So um, Zephaniah 3, verse 6 says, um, this Lord speaking, I have destroyed nations. Their strongholds are demolished. I have left the streets deserted with no one passing through. Their cities are laid waste. They are uh, desperate, uh, deserted and empty. And then verse uh, 7 of chapter 3, O Jerusalem, I thought surely you would fear and accept the correction. So this idea that um, you, you're seeing other nations, other cities pass away 
why don't you listen to the Lord's commandments or else you're going to be like them? And then finally, I think a good warning, which some of you mentioned, um, is, is not just what not to do, but what to do. You know, it's like, don't walk on this sidewalk. Okay, well then how am I supposed to get to where I'm going? Well, there's a sign that says, use this other sidewalk. Oh, okay, I, that, I can do that. I can make that work. I, if, you tell, if you just tell me what not to do, you'll concentrate on what not to do. But if you say, here's what not to do, here's what to do, it makes the warning much more successful, I think. But ultimately, all of these things, I think Zephaniah's warning made for a really good warning. I mean, it's a book of the Bible. It's, it's still around for today. Generations have passed it on as this warning that was a good warning. But it was, unfortunately, an unsuccessful warning. As good as the warning was, the people did not soften their hearts. The people that were being warned did not want to listen. And then this great and dreadful day, the the Babylonians come in. They destroy all of Judah. They destroy Jerusalem. And that's in, in the lifetime of Zephaniah. That is the day of the Lord for Judah when things are laid waste. And it says pretty clearly that the Lord is the one who sent the Babylonians to Judah to destroy it. <clears throat> and so there we are. It's like that's, that's kind of um, you know, anticlimactic that, that we, Zephaniah had this huge warning, spells it all out, what's going to happen. The day of the Lord uses fear. It's coming quickly. Others have perished. And yet the people of Judah, the kingdom does not turn and I just thought about, you know, some of our own lives, how we um, don't listen to warnings. We do what we want to do anyways, and yet the Lord is still great, graceful. The Lord still gives us grace, even though we don't deserve it. And so in this passage, in this book of Zephaniah, is this warning. And then, but there's also, especially towards the end of the book, chapter 3, I'll let you read it and reread it as a homework assignment, is this idea that God will save through a remnant. And I had the, the thought of this picture of this idea of a huge puzzle and just one puzzle piece being this saved piece. You know, you destroy this whole puzzle, but you end up saving one piece of this huge 5,000 whatever piece puzzle. You save this one piece, and it's through that one piece that you end up making another puzzle or recreating the puzzle that was just destroyed. This idea of a remnant. And there's lots of passages. Zephaniah 2.7 says the land will belong to the remnant. And so it's so the Lord already knows that, that he's giving this warning through Zephaniah. The people of Judah will not respond to it, even though the warning's a great warning. It's a good warning. The people won't respond, but the Lord will, even though their sin and turning away from God, God will still save them through this idea of a remnant. Um, Zephaniah 2.9 says, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, the God of Israel, um, goes down to say, The remnant of my people will, will be the survivors and inherit the, the nation in that land. I'm paraphrasing Zephaniah 2.9. But going on, um, Zephaniah 3 looks like uh, verse 12. But I will leave within you the meek and humble. The remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. Which, by the way, is the, the quote on the back of your, your skillet today. We always put a, a sweet quote. And it's just this idea in Zephaniah that there's this huge warning. You know, kind of recapping the book again. There's this huge warning to the people to repent. To stop in their wickedness. To, to, to seek the Lord and serve him only. Not these idols or anything else, but serve the Lord. And, and the people don't. They don't respond to God. And yet God still saves them through a remnant. And God loves the remnant. And, and the remnant will trust in the Lord. Um, one more verse, Zephaniah 3.20. Just says, at that time I will gather you. 
At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore the fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. And that's kind of the conclusion of this book, um, which is just this beautiful idea that, that God warns us, we mess up, and God still loves us. He still gives us grace. He still finds a way to save us and continue showing his love and mercy to us. I mean, the punishment is there. So it's like with the warning, you don't follow the warning. You get punished legitimately, and it hurts and it stings. But in the end, there's still grace and mercy to be had from the Lord. And so that's um, <clears throat> the conclusion of the book of Zephaniah. So we got a little bit of time left. So I thought we could start the next three prophets. So next week, we're going to talk about Malachi, Zechariah, and Haggai. And I wanted to give you a, a, a history of the exile and the return, which is a very interesting um, thing in, in Israel's history. It's, it's a lot happens in a very short amount of time, but a lot happens which if you pay attention to what's going to happen here, I'm going to put up this slide and kind of like where we left off. We were with the Babylonians um, destroying all of Judah. If this kind of makes sense to you, that what I'm about to say, this history that I'm about to say makes sense to you, then what will be explained today is like six books of the Bible. Daniel falls into this time period, Ezekiel, uh, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Esther, and uh, parts of uh, Isaiah, I already said Ezekiel, and uh, two other ones, he, uh, Nehemiah and Ezra. Uh, what, how many books is that? Five, six, seven, eight, nine books of the Bible are all within this very short time period. But a lot happens here. The Babylonians and the Persians and then uh, the, the return. So um, are you about to put your thinking caps on, I hope? <laughs> You can figuratively do it. You don't have to literally put it on. Anyways, <clears throat> so I'm about to explain Israel's history. In, in We have like 15 minutes left. Hopefully I'll do it in 10 or less and we'll end early. But this will prepare us for next week. So the Babylonians come in. They destroy Judah. They destroy Jerusalem. That date is 586 BC. If you're looking at, there's huge timelines on your on your uh, tables. If you're looking at that, that's when, so we've already talked about the northern kingdom. Now we're following this bottom line of the kingdom of Judah. It's, I think you could see that date on there. 586 is when the Babylonians destroy the temple. Babylonians destroy, and then they kind of leave with people. They, they take exiles with them. They take waves of exiles with them. They take uh, the princes and royalty, and Daniel is one of them. They take the high priests and the priestly um, the people, and Ezekiel is one of them, and they take just thousands upon thousands of people out of their homes, out of their land, Judah, and, and they bring them to ba the Babylonian Empire, brings them to Babylon um, that, in that kingdom. And so we have stories like this, um, this is the story of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king at the time of the exile, of the destruction of Jerusalem. And so we have the stories like Daniel in Babylon, not bowing down to idols, getting thrown into the lion's den, not bowing down 
to idols again, getting thrown into the fire. I think the fire is before the lions, all right? And then we have stories of, of Daniel just kind of up against various kings in the book of Daniel, not worshiping their idols, even though uh, Belteshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar want Daniel and the, the Israelites to worship their idols, so they say no. And so we have the, the context of those stories. Um, the Babylonians are doing great. They're loving life. Um, they're laughing. They're joking. They're having a good time. They're building at this point the, the hanging gardens of Babylon, which are one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Then they're having a good time. And then all of a sudden, the Persians come in and they just destroy the Babylonians. And so we have the, the Neo-Babylonians, and then we have the Medo-Persians, as they're sometimes called. The Persians come in and destroy the Babylonians. And if you were here last week, um, we talked about how Habakkuk said that the Babylonians are coming, they're going to destroy Judah, but in the end, they will get theirs. They will be destroyed by another. And that prophecy is fulfilled here as the Persians take over the Babylonians. Is anybody with me thus far? Okay, see this table, and that's it. Is anybody else with me? Okay, a couple more hands. All right. This this stuff is, there's a lot of details. There's a lot of nations um, and things going on. But if you get this, then you'll understand where we're going next week with the the three minor prophets, as well as understanding, like, I just counted nine books of the Bible and kind of their backgrounds. So anyways, the Persians take over the Babylonians. The Persians are more favorable to uh, the people of Judah and the Israelites. And there's specifically a king named uh, Cyrus, the king of Persia. And he has these conversations with uh, uh, the Israelites and sends them back to their land. He allows uh, about a group of 5,000 Jews to return to the land of Judah. And amongst them is Zerubbabel, kind of this king governor of the Jews. He's a Jew uh, leading the Jews back to Judah. There's uh, the tall guy right there. He's uh, uh, Joshua, not to be confused with uh, the book of Joshua, but Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. And then along with those 50,000 or so people that are allowed to go back to their homes is Haggai and Zechariah, who we'll talk about next week. So they will talk about rebuilding the temple and coming back to the land and how the people need to return to God, like they're returning to the land, etc., etc. So um, they... People end up back in Judah. Meanwhile, back in Persia, there's this guy. Anybody recognize this guy? The the 300. This is like one I was thinking about. It's not a chick flick. It's the opposite of chick flick. It's kind of like a mimbo movie. It's like a man bimbo movie. Um, It's not that good. Um, It has a lot of like just killing for no reason apparently. And like, anyway, so don't watch the movie. But if you have seen the movie, uh, this guy is Xerxes. He's the king of Persia. And we think that this same Xerxes is written about in the book of Esther. And it's Esther that gets to marry uh, Xerxes, um, that bad guy. So anyways, the, the, we, we think it's actually the same guy. So if you're in your head, you're like, oh yeah, that, that movie about, uh, king, the king of Sparta, and Xerxes, the king of Persia. We could kind of link that with the Bible, and it could be that that very same Xerxes is the Xerxes talked about in the book of Ezra. So that's meanwhile in Persia. Don't let me lose you here. Um, go, go back to 
uh, Judah, and we have someone named Ezra who comes back and helps rebuild Jerusalem along with the people that came back with him. And he writes about the, the people that came back before him, the 50,000, uh, Zerubbabel uh, the, and uh, uh, Joshua, the high priest at the time. And Nehemiah comes after him, and Nehemiah comes back to the city of Jerusalem and builds the walls. Yeah, and so the city of Jerusalem is now kind of back to normal, um, at least, you know, compared to the Babylonians destroying it and leveling the temple. The temple has been back. Uh, the walls are back. The city is back. Jerusalem is back as this capital. Judah is being rebuilt. And it's in this time period that we have the final book of the Bible. Malachi prophesies during this time uh, of Judah and being rebuilt and Jerusalem having already been rebuilt, the temple and the walls, and Malachi being the last book of the Old Testament. He kind of writes concluding remarks about how, uh, well, we'll get into that next week, but it's mainly about like respecting God as the authority, the great authority who's done all this, done these great things, but there's also you know more to come and how we need to return to the Lord um, and respect him and give our authority to him. So, that was just, how long did that take? That took like seven minutes to talk about like a 100 or 200 years of Judah's history. So with that, um, we'll just pray. It's kind of a weird place to, to close, but hopefully if, if you keep this lecture in mind, at least that five minutes uh, next week, we can just jump right into the prophets and talk about Malachi and Zechariah and Haggai and what those prophets have to share with us. And we'll conclude this whole two months of the minor prophets. So let's pray. Father, would you come before you and, and praise your name for um, these books that you've given to us and had handed down throughout the centuries, books of, of your warnings, books of um, you doing awesome and powerful things in the land of Israel and Judah. And so, God, we look at these passages and know that you are still working. You are still speaking. You are still moving in our lives. And so, God, as, as the Mill Sunday School, as individuals and corporately as the Mill Sunday School, God, would you empower us to understand these things, to, to put them into practice, to not just hear them and, and, and go on as if we didn't, but to hear them and, and act as if we did and to put them into our lives. So, God, we praise you. We love you. And everybody said, Amen. All right, we're ending a little early today. And so get some more coffee. Say hi to some people around you. We'll see you next week. Peace.